This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. We're coming at you on a, another beautiful Tuesday, and, and hope you're enjoying everything. The holidays are here, and uh, the Christmas spirit has certainly been... Um, in motion from the Democrat Party, as uh, Jill Stein is the gift that keeps on giving. She's been one of the most effective post-election campaign managers I've ever seen. In fact, in Wisconsin, her uh, her efforts in the Jillery recount have actually increased Donald Trump's lead by more than 130 votes. That's an amazing job, Jill Stein. We're happy to have you on board. I'm hoping Trump can find somewhere in his cabinet for you. I hear we need a secretary of safe spaces, and I think you'd be the perfect perfect candidate to fit that position. Uh, you know, the, the Democrats uh, in continue their apoplectic ways, complaining about everything. I will say I'm not 100% sold on Rex Tillerson as Secretary of State, and neither are several Republicans due to his ties with, uh, with Vladimir Putin, the Russian government, and big oil. Uh, I was leaning towards Mitt Romney. Uh, for Secretary of State. I thought Mitt Romney would have done a good job. David, you're making a face at that, but uh, I think his experience with the Olympics and, and being an international businessman without ties, he was in fact the one that warned about the growing Russian threat back in 2012. Um, so you you didn't like, do you like Tillerson as Secretary of State? Well, uh, you're too young to remember a guy named Ronald Reagan. <laughs> and um, I didn't get to vote for him, but I do remember him. Do you remember what one of his sayings was? One about of his keeping popular, your enemies close keep, or trust. Keep your friends close and your enemies close. And he also said, trust but verify. Trust but verify. But the, the one I like is uh, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And can, and this is why I like Tillerman. There's no secret about that he's done some phenomenally big deals in Russia and mm-hmm. many other countries. But if he's got somebody close, just like uh, I was surprised at the uh, appointment of the ambassador to China, the Iowa governor, I believe. Mm-hmm. Branstad, Terry Branstad, yes, sir. So, you know, why is it, why are people not raising hell about him being uh, a friend of the Chinese, whatever he is, president or whatever? Mm-hmm. The, you know, I think there's – I'm not hearing it, but I maybe I'm the only one that I see Trump as – there's method in his madness, and uh, you know people may raise hell about. Oh my God, you know Tillerson has had all these. Well, can you think of somebody? You know, if, if somebody's had their hand in your pocket and shaking hands with you, mm-hmm. he probably knows you pretty good, right? Yep. Well, again, I'm I can be persuaded. I'm actually pretty happy with most of uh, the cabinet picks, but this one in particular looks like it will be under a fight. Marco Rubio's already come out against it, and you know your friend Lindsey Graham in South Carolina will be opposing it most likely. So th- I, I think this one's headed for a fight. Republicans only have 52 senators in there, so you only need three defectors to delay or stall uh, a nomination. Will be into them. <laughs> I don't think if I were. <coughs> If I were little Marco, I don't think I'd want to be taking on Mr. Trump again. As far as Lindsey Graham, he's such an idiot wuss that... uh you know, have no respect for him whatsoever. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, Marco did just win a six-year Senate term, so he's not exactly up for re-election. 
anytime soon. So um, I'm just curious to see what uh, what shakes out with this pick. I think it's one of the most controversial one. The Ben Carson for uh, Secretary of HUD. I don't think that's a bad pick at all. Uh, anybody that knows anything about HUD knows how useless that organization has been. When they've been working with Dodd-Frank and the CFPB, they have really been putting uh, a lot of onerous regulations on businesses, and they've been passing that directly to consumers. It's funny how taxes on corporations work, David. Anybody with pricing power passes that directly on to consumers. So all this leftist talk about let's raise the corporate income tax and all these other nefarious plots that uh, you know they, they claim that will uh, enhance fairness in the economy, almost every fee gets passed directly on to the consumer. What do you think, uh, and I? And again, I'm not, even though I'm from Texas, in fact, I was just talking to an oil company in Texas, and I asked uh, the lady that I was talking to what she thought about uh, <laughs> Mr. Perry and the EPA, mm-hmm. and uh, she said, well, I'm glad he's got him another job, and, <laughs> and not in Texas. Uh, <laughs> So I, I, I'm not a big uh, Perry supporter, but maybe he'll open some doors in the oil industry that uh, and coal industry that uh, Obama has totally screwed up. Well, that's one of the things that's going to bring some of those jobs back in Kentucky and West Virginia and Pennsylvania. Uh, the clean coal industry, thanks to the EPA and rigorous Obama administration regulations, they literally put those companies and factories out of business, and they didn't do anything to retrain the employees. So they basically took away not only an injury source, but also income from a big region. And it's little wonder why those regions voted for Donald Trump on Election Day. I mean, the fact I I'm trying to figure out which is the most surprising of the three Midwest states that Trump won, Pennsylvania, Michigan or Wisconsin. Personally, I'm surprised most at Pennsylvania. Um, the other two states, Michigan and, and Wisconsin, have Pretty similar populations if you take out uh, Detroit, which um, <laughs> another good aspect of the Jillery recount is we're a lot seeing. A people would like to take yeah, out Yeah, I was about to say, a lot of people have already moved out of Detroit, but uh, one of the, the more fun aspects of the Jillery recount is not only did we increase the lead in Wisconsin, they actually uncovered a lot of questionable votes in Detroit. In fact, the Michigan recount would have possibly had half of the votes in Detroit be uncountable in a recount because of the, uh, the there was various degrees of fraud and also the ballots weren't counted properly and stored properly all sorts of problems in Michigan and the Pennsylvania recount is over too so it's basically it's all over there's no more recount the Electoral College will meet on December 19th when hopefully all of my friends that are electors will stop getting all the hate mail you got to think. I, w- I was watching the show the other night, and this um, this campaign against the electors it borders on voter intimidation, doesn't it? Um, I would we, think so. We had Rachel on last week. She uh, was a pretty good uh, uh, guest. I mean, we we're pretty pretty good about dealing with the um, I guess the angst and the turmoil. But I've seen some other uh, voters or electors or reports of them being threatened, uh, death threats for if they vote for Trump. I'm certain that the Department of Justice under Obama isn't going to be so quick to investigate those complaints, though. But I bet the next one would be. 
Well, Jeff Sessions certainly would be. I just, you know what, the, 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 my hope for the Trump administration is that they stop politicizing some of these offices like the Department of Justice, where Obama really hyper-politicized it for the past eight years, uh, went, at, went after states that didn't agree with his agenda and ignored other things that were clear uh, constitutional violations from most experts. But if it didn't match his agenda, he ignored it or directed the DOJ to ignore it. It was with Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch. They were by far the most partisan attorney generals that, 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 that I can remember anyway. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, Obama has taken our Constitution. And this is, this is, it upsets me that we've had such a bunch of weenies in Congress. Uh-huh. And they've let them. And we don't know what we've got in the Supreme Court. Uh, Roberts is obviously <laughs> in, intimidatable. Uh, but we've lost the three branches of government. Oh, right. But we've lost the constitutional checks and balances. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this is something I, I'm like you. I hope Trump brings back. I hope Trump puts some of the toughest SOBs. What's a female SOB? Bitch, um, just, just, D- Dob? Daughter? <laughs> but anyway. A DOB? DOB. <laughs> I hope Trump puts some of the toughest constitutionalist attorneys in the Supreme Court. And, uh, that and all the judicial appointments. I mean, this is, um, you know, obviously Obama was able to appoint a ton during his eight years. All These positions come open all the time, though. And since the Democrats in 2013 got rid of the uh, filibuster to approve most nominations, that, I mean, with the 52 senders, as long as it's somebody not too over the top, Donald Trump doesn't need one Democrat vote. And he'll be able to put in whoever he wants. And now the Democrats are expressing regret for them removing that 60 fill. It, it is funny, David. It's like, I remember the Constitution when I'm not the one in power. Isn't that interesting? I do think Republicans are going to be very harsh critics of Donald Trump. I I think a lot of them will look at some of the missives of Donald Trump. He came in a little bit, uh, well, let's just say a lot, uh, didn't trust him during the campaign. He has had some interesting tweets, I guess, during the uh, this interim period, this lame duck period between uh, the last couple months of Obama administration versus when he gets inaugurated on January 20th, which, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm officially headed up to D.C. on the uh, 18th. You, David, bought, you bought your tent. Huh? I did. Uh, actually, we are staying in an Airbnb in Arlington and uh, got a pretty good deal on it. It took me three tries, though. There was... Uh, there's a lot of demand for it, as you can imagine, but there's also probably a lot of Democrats that might have had their places booked that are leaving. So basically, new places come open every day. And I actually, you know, applied th- three different times, and the first two turned me down, you know? I have no idea. Maybe they don't like people with their nickname GW. But uh, at any rate, the third one, I went ahead and reached out to them and sent them a personal note after I applied for it and just said, hey, we're staying in D.C. we got family members. I didn't mention that I was there to necessarily witness Donald Trump, that I was the biggest Republican fan ever, because I'm guessing a lot of these people that are putting their houses up for Airbnb are not exactly hyper-partisan conservatives like uh, I am. So I didn't want to mention too much politics. And the fact that they'd be having Republicans staying in their house might not excite them too much. But this guy seemed nice. He was going to be in Europe at the time. So uh, everything happened pretty pretty fast. I think it was good that I actually personally reached out. But um, it's going to be exciting. 
Donald Trump was meeting with uh, Kanye West, everybody's favorite yeah. rap mogul today. Sec- I'm guessing uh, secretary of rap? secretary of the ass, uh, I believe. <laughs> secretary of the assets. Uh, so Kanye, I think maybe he's going to do a musical number for the inauguration. You think that might be in the mix? I would hope not. Actually. <laughs> you, you would hope not. Okay. Uh, I have no respect for him whatsoever. Nor do I have any respect for any of the people that said I'm moving, that haven't moved, uh, haven't left the country yet. Uh, none whatsoever. Yeah, like the people on The View. I, I thought The View would start being filmed in San El Salvador or something, but nope, it's still filmed in New York or L.A., wherever it's from. I, I, I would guess. Is it New York? Whoopi and Joy Behar, they are in meltdown mode. And I got to say, I didn't think I would enjoy winning so much, but I, I really do. And it's thanks to the Dems for reminding us of the win every day. It's like the Jelly of the Month Club, but with the presidential victory. Hopefully, Jill Stein will uh, move off to the pasture and engage in her quackery elsewhere. But it has been nice to relive the Donald Trump win over and over again, all the way th- halfway through December, really. Well, I think it's going to be uh, very interesting. And if he does... You know, I appreciate what he's already done. He's he's already acted. He's already been to one Army-Navy game more than Obama went to. Really? I know he went to the one on Saturday, by the way. That was quite the win for Army, a f- breaking a 14-year. Were you, uh, as an Army veteran, you were probably pretty happy about that, right? You know, it's funny. My dad was uh, was in World War II and the uh, captain in the Navy, and... Uh, I've always rooted, even though I was in the Army, I've always rooted for uh, Navy, as a matter of fact. Huh. I was just, uh, you know, I hated to see them lose. Well, I will say the Salvation Army has been beating the Salvation Navy for years. So it was time that the the Army beat the Navy on the football field. And it was at West Point, too, so that was pretty cool. When no, it was in Baltimore. Was it? Was it in Annapolis? In fact, in fact. I thought, I could have sworn I saw the... um, no, it was in, in in fact, it's always been played, I thought, in Philadelphia. Right, for you years know, and I, years. Uh, M&T State, okay, you're right. It was in, uh, for some reason, I thought the game had been at West Point just because the, uh, I'd seen the the, um, the placard where it said the last Army win was 2001. So, uh, huh, that is strange. I did see something that um, uh, some rumors or uh, speculation that it would be nice if Atlanta tried to host this game sometime so perhaps they're starting to move it around a little bit yeah I don't know uh, Soldiers Field in Philadelphia isn't that the name of it uh, Soldier Field is in Chicago. In Chicago? Yeah. What's the name it's of the called Philly? Veterans. It used to be or called Veterans Stadium. Yeah, Veterans Stadium was the one yeah. in uh, Philly. Now they have, it's like Key Bank or something like that. I All these stadiums have gotten corporate sponsors now, so I've, I've forgotten the names oh, yeah. of them. We're, we're you want to go ahead and take our first break here, Dan? Yeah, we're going to take it. We'll be uh, back in a couple minutes. Michael McNeely, first vice chair of the Georgia GOP, will join us on the other side of the break. See you in a minute on Greg's List. This is Skip Coriel host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose 
and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to America's Webradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's Aside, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Webradio.com. We're uh, uh, about a month after the election and, and now looking at the, the upcoming inauguration and, and this incoming presidential administration in Georgia. We've been able to hold uh, the seats in spite of pretty aggressive Democrat attempts. I would say the 2014 attempts when they had uh, Michelle Nunn and Jason Carter uh, running for uh, U.S. Senate and Governor, respect was probably their most serious effort. Hillary Clinton came here a few times, but really didn't spend a whole lot of money. We've got Georgia's first vice chair, the Georgia GOP right now, Michael McNeely, on the line with us. And I, I think you've been on the show several years ago, Mike, but uh, it has been a little while. I wanted to welcome you back to Greg's List. How are you, man? I'm great, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to, to talking to you for a few minutes and, and engaging with you and, and your listeners. It's a very exciting time. And we're looking forward to, to a very bright future here in Georgia with the Georgia Republican Party and all the, all the things that we'll be able to do together. Yeah, well, you know, I appreciate the work you've been doing with the uh, the state party. You've been the first vice chair for, I guess, at least two years now. I'm trying to remember. Maybe it's been three. It's been three years now, right? Yeah, over three years. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's been very, very involved in our, our party. And, you know, if you if you look at the state party rules, there's maybe – one line about what uh, the first vice chair does, and it's basically it tells you, oh, well, you just basically do what whatever the chair doles out to you. But you know, Greg, you, you know, you know me for a number of years now. I'm not the type of person just to sit back and and just wait for somebody to tell me to get engaged in, in the work of the party, growing it, engaging new communities, and uh, and so I've been very active uh, the last few years. In fact, one of the things I ran on uh, when I ran for first vice chair was the fact that. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And mm-hmm. uh, and from that, I created the Community Service Committee through the state party. And John, our current chair, um, you know, said, hey, go go for it. And we, we raised thousands of dollars for children, health care of Atlanta. You know, they have to travel hundreds of miles in some cases to come and have their children cared for for days and weeks at a time. And they need assistance. We've helped uh, and and fed hundreds of veterans, uh, homeless veterans, rather, and uh, and then we helped with Christmas gifts for some kids that were underprivileged in the Douglas County area. So that was uh, that's something that I've been very involved in, and, and uh, you know, of course, the, the fundamentals of our party, making sure that we 
help raise money, that we help uh, do the door-to-door, the phone banking, and all the things that are involved in getting Republicans. Yep, and I will say we've got a pretty good record uh, since the Democrats have tried to be more competitive in here. We did obviously hold David Perdue uh, seat and Governor Deal's uh, governor's um, uh, position, and uh, Donald Trump won by five points in spite of uh, – the Democrats came into Georgia pretty hard. They really didn't spend as much money as they thought. Uh, clearly they were spending it in the wrong places if they spent it here, as they've lost to Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. But over the past – Three years, I guess. What's been your proudest accomplishment working for the state party? Oh, wow, Greg. I mean, every everything we do is so vitally important. And I think that being able to um, effectively communicate the principles that we hold dear in the party to to um, minorities and millennials, and seeing and seeing those folks, those demographics coming in more and more, we we have such a wealth of talent already in the party that that sometimes gets underutilized. And we need to we need to change that. But that's probably the biggest thing is mm-hmm. connecting people with the principles that we believe in and helping them to see beyond the the things that they see and hear from the, the left leaning media, see beyond maybe how they grew up and what they were told and see the realities of what it means to be a conservative and how that benefits all of us as individuals and our families. Yeah. Well, and one of the roles I see that the state party has to do is and is kind of remove their personal preferences. Obviously, this past presidential cycle, we had 17 pretty qualified candidates. I, I think uh, if you looked up and down the list, you would say that that was a very strong uh, group of potential candidates with senators and governors and business leaders. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of picked the side. It was pretty, it was, it was hyper competitive here in Georgia. Trump got 38% and Rubio and Ted Cruz split uh, 25% each, and that was obviously 88% of the vote uh, right there amongst those guys. But after the election, I saw people, most of them came together, and you were certainly not a Michael come lately to the Trump train. i got to give you credit for being out uh, in front of that. I, I've been going around to some events personally myself, and I, I've noticed that a lot of people are, are taking credit for the win, and it reminds me of that saying, you know, success has a thousand fathers and failures and orphans. So uh, tell us a little bit about that and why you were willing to, to get on the train before a few other folks. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, every every cycle, we, you know, we have a primary and we have multiple candidates, and, and, and Republicans get behind different ones in that primary process, and they work very hard, they support their candidate, but in the end, there there only stands one, and in this case, it was Donald J. Trump, and, you know, I'll admit, he, he wasn't my candidate in the primary, but when the people spoke, when they said that this is the individual that we want to represent our party, then it was time to get on board, and that's mm-hmm. what leadership has to do. You cannot sit on the sidelines and go into different events and stand in the back and clap politely. No, you've got to get out front. You've got to get that out there and proclaim uh, the, 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 the benefits of having a Republican in office, mm-hmm. the strengths that they bring to the table. You know, when, when Hillary Clinton was suggesting that Donald Trump was associated with the Klan, I worked with the Trump campaign and put out a press release uh, admonishing Hillary Clinton and her campaign in regards to that. Travel all around the state, getting in front on, on the stage and, and saying, Donald Trump is a businessman. He, he understands uh, what needs to be done, and we're going to support him. It did that consistently, and that's, again, what real uh, leadership has to do. And, you know, as you alluded to, some folks that um, are on the train now weren't on the train when it really counted, and that was leading up to 
election night. Well, you know, I was certainly not a never Trumper. I describe myself as a skeptic. I uh, I, I got to say, on, on on Tuesday, November eighth, I was I was surprised uh, that he won by such a large large electoral margin. Now the Democrats are uh, pointing to this huge popular vote win, uh, and and you can look at California, and New York for stating that. But uh, as a state, George also has some stuff besides the presidential race. We've got uh, Governor Deal rep- uh, appointed one of my guests last week, Paulette Rakes straw to something that's a it's a compact to get a balanced budget so where do you think the state party should be with with policy versus being kind of the uh the grassroots lift do you think we need to mix in a, a little combination of both or, or what do you think the influence should be on some of the legislative uh agenda coming going forward yeah well you, you've got to have a relationship you, you know you, ha- you can't just go to our legislators and invite them to come speak at a chicken dinner and then and then and then the rest of the time they're doing their thing and the, and the party's doing another no we have to have regular dialogue what what is important to the grassroots and how can that be implemented into the policy positions that our elected republicans take that has to be a 365 day a year proposition i think one thing the party needs to do is is to put out information about the, the issues, you know, the facts. Get, get them from, from various sources so that people have information that they can chew on and really understand things. Uh, make sure they understand about the committee process in the legislature and when, and when those things are going on so that they can come and be a part of the process because we elect people to represent us and we should have a voice at all times. And, um, and so I think that's, that's uh, hugely important. So you can and see the party being uh, the role of, of educating people. I know me and you talked a little bit yeah. about the uh, electoral college and how it was amazing how many people clearly failed civics after the November uh, 8th election. And I, I think that the educating people on the issues is the most important. Not necessarily telling them what to think, but how to think, I guess. Or, 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 or how to glean or give them the, the tools so they can make up their own mind. That's that's absolutely right. I think that's I think that's a vital role uh, that the party can play is, is educating vote, voters and and doing training. I think you know, we need to train um, our grassroots. We need to train candidates that want to run as, as Republicans. We need to be uh, on the forefront of that. We need to be the ones that are engaging others and not waiting for for them to ask the questions, but already have the answers for them, ready to go. So as you said, you know you, you don't want to teach people what to think. You want to teach them how how to think and you give them the information they make their own educated choices the, the, the grassroots uh, need to need that and then they make their choices and we move forward together and we get conservative policies uh, passed in 2017 and beyond yeah now tell us a little bit you're an elector I'm, I'm guessing you can't wait until December 19th how much <laughs> uh, how much hell has been wrought upon you uh, you know through the process yeah well the very first morning I, I started receiving emails from, the, I'll just call them, quite frankly, the sore losers out there that, uh, <laughs> that just said, oh, we can't, we can't have Trump be president. Well, the people spoke. Yep. And so the first morning that I got emails, I woke up and I had over a thousand. And okay. then, then by the end of the day, it was another thousand. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching, pushing closer to 10,000 as, as the days pass. And that's not including the stacks of mail that I've gotten in my house. That's not including the phone calls that I've gotten from people all around the country that are trying to persuade the electors uh, here in Georgia to change their vote. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that the electors, the Georgia electors, are going to go and and confirm what the, the people have already said, that Donald Trump is, is our next president. 
and I'm excited for that. In fact, I, I was on Fox News a few days ago, and there was a guy from Texas, an elector, and he was talking like we were still in the primaries. He was talking <laughs> about qualities he was looking for, and I'm thinking, hey, it's over. This is a done deal. we got to move forward. Yeah, that was a guy that was uh, going to vote for John Kasich, I believe, as a matter of principle. One thing I have noticed, a lot of the uh, the Democrat electors in the Democrat states, I think that, you know, again, Hillary could actually lose votes out of this by people saying, you know what, she was such a god-awful candidate, unable to rally their base, and really alienated a lot of uh, a lot of people that I think are going to be future Republicans. I really do think that they, the working-class folks in uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and uh, Michigan, if, if Donald Trump can deliver half of what he ran on that those guys are going to those guys and gals are going to be republicans for 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 uh, decades to come that's right greg and, and that's the thing about the electoral college the founders thought long and hard about this and it's worked for over 200 years and that's the thing if we did not have the electoral college rural communities rural states would not have had their voices heard and and that's what uh, brought it home for donald trump in states like wisconsin and pennsylvania so we need to ensure that people are represented everywhere. And, yep. and so I'm glad that we have the system. I'm glad that uh, the people all around our country were represented appropriately yep. and got their voices heard. Michael McNeely, first vice chair of the Georgia GOP, has announced his uh, run for state chair at the uh, convention. It will be in Augusta next June. Um, I appreciate you calling in today. Michael, we'll have you on, I'm sure, again before the show. We appreciate your service to the uh, country uh, and the military and also to the uh, the state party. Hey, Greg, can I mention one other thing? Yes, sir. So you, you mentioned you know the, the convention being in June, and I just want to mention a, a good friend of mine named June, June Wood, who won the county commission chairmanship in Henry mm-hmm. County, in a county that, that is certainly not as red as we'd like it to be. Right. She worked hard. She got crossover votes. And that's just a clear example of how we can win and grow our party that, going forward. That's so it. I, I think that's going to serve as a catalyst going forward. That's great. I appreciate it, Michael. And we'll see you guys on the other side of the break. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. 
From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's WebRadio.com. Just wrapped up a segment with Michael McNeely, first vice chair of the Georgia GOP and a candidate for state party chair this uh, next convention cycle. It seems like election season never truly ends, although we uh, do have a little bit of uh, fatigue going on here. The Democrats have extended the uh, election by about six weeks, so we've had a little bit more time to enjoy the win. And joining us now, our friend, GeorgiaPunditEditor.com, uh, our GeorgiaPundit.com editor, Todd Ream, and I wanted to welcome you back to Greg's. How are you, Todd? I'm great, Greg. It's been a while, and uh, happy to be back. Yeah, I was about to say, it, uh, I, th- I don't think you've been on since the victory, so we now have a much different kind of program, right? <laughs> yep, yep. We now have the, uh, the the GOPs, the barking dog that caught the car. Now we got to see what the <laughs> hell we're going to do, right? But uh, so anyway, uh, Todd, you um, have been following a lot of the the local issues, and in Georgia, uh, as a Republican state, Republican state that's been in in power for uh, more than a decade now, uh, we are starting to see the impact, uh, the positive impact of some Republican policies coming into place, and obviously. They, it, before Trump won, um, they looked like there was going to be a huge fight on Medicaid expansion here in Georgia coming up. That's probably uh, DOA. Uh, some other issues that I think, I think Trump's presidency has changed the agenda a little bit. And I wanted to kind of get your feedback on what this upcoming session is going to look like versus maybe what, uh, people thought it might, like what are the differences and if any issues are going to, uh, take hold that maybe were, uh, on the back burner before the uh, Donald Trump win? So I think in terms of state politics and policy, the biggest change that we'll see as a result of Trump's election is going to be, uh, like you mentioned, Medicaid. I don't think it was going to be a fight. I think it was going to be a pretty quickly done deal to do some version of Medicaid expansion of eligibility. Um, the, The problem is it's not so much what Trump's going to do, it's the uncertainty over what he may or may not do. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of stuff that has been written by Congressman Tom Price, who is expected to be uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, a lot of the stuff he's written in the last couple years about how he would like to do Medicaid, how he would like to do Obamacare, those have been getting a lot more page views in the last three or four weeks than they probably had in 18 months. Um, and so everybody's sort of trying to read the tea leaves and see what's going to happen. The issue, I think, is even with a pretty clear idea of what's going to happen, I, I think we're probably looking at some form of block grant um, for Medicaid, uh, fewer rules, uh, greater ability, greater flexibility for the state to, uh, to determine eligibility, to, to determine how coverage costs. The problem is... It's questionable if Tom Price will even be sworn in as Secretary of HHS before most of the legislative session has gone through. Right. And so 
all of those issues get, end up getting put on hold for a year, not because of what's been done, but because something hasn't been done and we know something's going to change. So that, that's, that's, I think, the biggest change. And really, it doesn't represent any change at all because Medicaid expansion is something that, that where the, that can has been kicked down the road so many times, it's, it's becoming a soccer ball. Well, the, the state legislature, you know, they the Governor Deal signed a bill to make it, um, you know, to put it in the hands of the state legislature, in fact. So that was something mm-hmm. that uh, I guess was a form of uh, kicking it, uh, kicking the can down the road. So you you were thought if, if, if Hillary Clinton was president-elect, you your opinion would be that Medicaid expansion would be a pretty easy, it would be a done deal. I, I think some form of it would be, yes. I, I think we would have sought a, a Medicare uh, a waiver. Um, to do things a little bit differently, and I, and I think that would have been done. The the difference, the difference for many people is that the General Assembly has to pass a budget, and, and Medicaid is such a, a large part of that budget, mm-hmm. um, it makes it difficult to do um, without some changes. And, and, and I think that the momentum <clears throat> had built so that there was going to be some sort of change. Um, Funny how momentum changes when when an election actually happens instead of just being uh, postulated about by pundits, <laughs> um, and and so you know that's that's going to be an interesting question. I think there are going to be some other uh, related issues related to the stability of Georgia's hospitals, mm-hmm. um, and particularly in rural areas. I think in some ways this will be the sh- the session in which rural Georgia stands up and and says we delivered the state's electoral votes for Donald Trump and Atlanta and the rest of the state has to pay attention to some of these issues. Mm-hmm. You've seen the uh, the broadband availability discussions um, as part of that. The hospitals is another part of that. Um, and I think there are going to be some other economic development issues that, that are part of that assertion by rural Georgia of um, at least attention if they even if they don't get any get everything they want I think there will be a, a movement to get some attention to that done uh, I think we're going to see a an expensive but ultimately ill-fated attempt to pass some form of casino gambling mm-hmm. um, the money is already being spent hand over fist <laughs> um, but you've got some pretty prominent opponents um, and I you know I think I, I should have I should have mentioned this earlier, but I'm not as smart as I like to think I am. I think the other major change in momentum since the, the Trump election is is probably medical marijuana. Um, I think there may be less movement on that issue this year until it becomes clear uh, how it, how an attorney general Jeff Sessions is going to address the issue. If he's going to address it the way Donald Trump said during the campaign he thought it ought to be addressed or whether he whether he's going to address it the way that Senator Sessions has said it's his personal opinion it ought to be addressed. So I think we we may be see, seeing less movement on that than than might otherwise have happened. 
Now, um, last year we had talked about everybody's uh, favorite um, hotel, motel, rental, Airbnb. And, you know, what's funny, Todd, is I've been pricing things out, and a lot of states now have uh, – they're collecting a tax. So um, you think that's going to be back on the, the burner this year? In fact, Washington, D.C. collects a uh, – it looks like they're collecting either the 10 or 20 percent motel tax that I'm having to pay. Uh, an extra surcharge. I can't remember what exactly they called it, but I noticed it was in a bunch of areas in uh, in and around um, uh, D.C. So I think Virginia collects it. D.C. does. I don't think Maryland does, but it's it looks like it's kind of haphazard. But I can tell that they've been wor- – the, some of the states or the, the hotel motel lobby has certainly been working um, during the uh, – <laughs> during their, their various sessions around the country. Well, and, and at some level, I, I do have some sympathy for an existing industry that has this disruptive technology comes in, mm-hmm. and, and when they say, hey, you got to make them play by the same rules or release us from those rules. Right. Um, you know, you see that you, you've got the exact same thing. It's the same thing that happened with uh, automotive dealer franchises. It's the same thing that happened and continues to happen with Uber and Lyft. Yep. Um, where a an incumbent industry that has been heavily regulated uh, finds some new competition that either doesn't or doesn't believe it's subject to the existing rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's it's. I, I know you have zero sympathy for existing businesses, but when you, when you play by the rules and do things the way the state requires you to, to have somebody come in and, and not have to do it under the same terms, I... I well, I, the hotel-motel tax, I can just see a lot of uh, people on both sides of that right the i mean basically airbnb shouldn't really care they can easily tack that on so that to me that that's one that's a much easier fix than the taxi cab versus uber fight that that's a couple lines of code but but <laughs> as as far as airbnb it also has other implications what happens if you have your entire life savings in a beautiful home in athens georgia and in a stable community um, with great neighbors, and then the next year, you find that ten weekends of the year, it, the, the house next to you becomes a raging uh, party house via some disruptive technology. Um, you know, the, it, there are going to be there are going to be it's called externalities in economics. There are going to be externalities exposed, imposed upon innocent bystanders in a lot of these different things mm-hmm. um, and it's it's not always that I don't, I don't know that the, the legislature needs to deal with all of those but it disrupts not just the existing business but a lot of stuff that goes around uh, goes on around it as a result of assuming that the way things are done right. today or 20 years ago is well Will always be the yeah. Well, Athens. Done. Well, I, you know that's where the local uh, municipalities have always kind of stepped in with their own uh, various code enforcements. In Athens, when I was there in the mid '90s, there was a big problem with um, students piling in, you know, eight people to a two bedroom house or just trying to save money and the car. So they passed a, uh, a rule that said no more than two unrelated people could live in the same house, and that's actually been pr- pretty strictly enforced. So, uh, you know, and that was the local community. 
community coming together to get that passed, not necessarily uh, something from the state. So I, I, I think that that will probably be uh, – the, the localities will be the final arbiters on, on, on dealing with Airbnb. But what, what almost inevitably happens as a result of this is that five years down the road, you will have the now-dominant player in the market, whether that's Airbnb or somebody else, um, complain about the patchwork of different regulations that that causes them a burden because they have to figure out, they now have to ask whether the people who are going to be partying in that house in Athens are related or not. Mm-hmm. Um, versus in Atlanta, you may... You may not need to ask that, and and so now they've got they may have a hundred different sets of municipal or county rules, and it, right. it, it, you know you create you create. You create you, more issues. I was about for to say you create lobbyists and legislators. I was about to say it's it's job creation for uh, bureaucrats. Todd, if you can hold on for a couple minutes, we're going to take our uh, final break here. You're listening to Greg's list. We'll be back with Todd Ream, GeorgiaPundit.com, in a second. Thanks. Understanding health insurance is becoming more challenging. If you currently have insurance you've probably noticed that it costs more to see your doctor. And if you're able to keep your doctor, it takes longer to get an appointment. The bad news is this trend is projected to continue. Your costs will likely continue to rise, while your health care choice and access will continue to fall. The good news is Peachtree ENT Center has the answer to this problem. We believe in taking care of the whole patient, because healing is more than writing a prescription. We are committed to working with you, and we specialize in providing affordable care for patients without insurance, those who are underinsured, and those with high deductibles or catastrophic coverage. And we offer same-day appointments. You no longer have to choose between staying healthy and paying bills because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. We're with Todd Ream from GeorgiaPundit.com. Now, Todd, you were up in the great city of Athens recently for the Biennial, which I guess is a conference every two years to help uh, educate uh, Georgia's uh, legislators and maybe a little bit of... Um, lobbying if you will but uh so you were there kind of following the um the, the sessions what uh what kind of speculation or gossip or what what was kind of the uh the feel of the conference so it's it's kind of like the first day of high school in some ways you've got the new kids coming in uh earlier on Sunday the newly elected legislators come in and they're sort of going through orientation and, uh, you know, have have some some level of ins- sort of instruction on how to, how to legislate. 
Um, and then for the rest of the weekend, people are talking about the new legislators. Have you met so-and-so? Have you seen so-and-so? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, it's really a great time uh, for a lot of what, what is the informal side of legislating, which is which is really legislators having the opportunity to actually talk through complex issues. They may be talking through those complex issues with a, with a bent elbow and a bar, <laughs> um, but I, I think having some of that time to talk about the issues they're going to be taking up in a month or so and sort of, uh, if you're a return, if you're a new legislator, just sort of figuring out how you're going to get, get up to speed. If you're a returning legislator, um, maybe you hear some new arguments about an issue you hadn't thought of and you have the time to actually figure out what, what you're going to, what you're going to be talking about. Uh, and there's a few lobbyists there. I think, uh, the economic development impact of that on uh, Athens is probably greatest in the bars and restaurants uh, surrounding the campus. Right. So there might be some um, educational sessions located at the uh, <laughs> the Between the Hedges Sports Bar is what you're saying. Huh? And, 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 <laughs> and a lot of Uber rides were taken, I suspect. Well, I was about to say, they probably did pretty well for the uh, the local service economy at any rate. So, uh, And it's a way, I guess, for some of the legislators to look and see, okay, I may not have a ton in common with this legislator, but we agree on this issue. Uh, perhaps potential bill sponsors getting together for certain uh, missives as well. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep, and and talking about sort of getting caught up on what's happened since they were last together for forty crazy days. And any angling for people that are seeking higher office. I'm sure none of that was going on. Oh yeah, I mean this time <laughs> all of the discussion was about uh, which legislators whose districts overlap the sixth congressional were either there or were not there or stopped in in the morning just long enough to be seen and then left to go make fundraising calls and who might be running for this and that. Um, oh, yeah, it was, it was like a, a giant soap opera, um, all revolving around the 6th District. I was about to say, it seems like election season never is truly over, and in Georgia that is uh, certainly true. Um, you know, De- Donald Great Trump the is... Lord for that. Well, I was about to say, it uh, keeps people uh, working throughout the throughout the 365 days a year but um the uh with with tom price being um named health and human services he's the democrats are going to complain about him but he is not the one where i think they're going to try to make their uh you know stake in the ground i think they'll probably fight the uh tillerson nomination and maybe uh, michael flynn's uh, nomination, but I think Tom Price has, has proven over the years. I mean, every time the Democrats said the Republicans have never issued an alternative to Obamacare, all I had to do was go back and get uh, Tom Price's PDF and put it up and say, "Well, we've had this one up for years." So, yeah. well, I'm 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 not sure I agree. I think there will probably be an effort by some within the Democratic slash progressive slash liberal. Uh, wing of American politics to turn Tom's um, confirmation into a into a three-ring circus. If you are the kind of person who has a lot of Google alerts set <laughs> for uh, local politicians and state election-related topics, you get all these at 4 o'clock in the morning. What you would have seen <laughs> is the weekend after Price was named as the nominee, this sort of far left wing network started coming alive and one or two variations of the same story 
started percolating through the leftosphere um, about how Tom Price's support a number of years ago for uh, for legislation in Georgia uh, defining marriages between a man and a woman makes him somehow this anti-gay crusader. Um, and so I, I think there will be parts of the leftosphere that want to take the opportunity to... Um, just rake him over the coals. Mm-hmm. And I think it will go... I think that's where the, the opposition started with the LGBT activist community. Um, I think after that you will have uh, some of the abortion rights um, activist community kind of pile on because Tom is a is a pro-life legislator. Right. Well, I guess what I was looking at, though, is, you know, thanks to Harry Reid and company, we only need 51 votes to uh, confirm. We have 52. I don't see... I see. I see some Republicans potentially breaking on uh, Tillerson. Some of them have come out uh, with a little bit of hubris against him already. But with uh, Congressman Price, he—I think he's pretty well respected on the Republican side of things. That, I guess that's where I'm sure the left is going to have a hissy fit about every appointment, but uh, whether or well, not. And, yeah, and, and it's one—it's one thing to—it's one thing to to. It's one thing to block a nomination, which has become infinitely more difficult um, after the after the Harry Reid era. It's another to draw it out, mm-hmm. and um, Senate rules still allow a great deal of, of ability for members to drag. I think it was out. like thirty hours of debate, which I'm not sure if that means it's necessarily consecutive, and they need to start wearing their depends or uh, how that works exactly. But, yeah, uh, that's that's. <laughs> kind of what I'm thinking and, and because I think 30 hours I mean that's 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 a week that's a week's worth of committee meetings mm-hmm. usually. Um, so you know I, I think there will be uh, you know and, and I don't I don't think there's any any real um, I don't think there's any real chance that that Tom Price does not get confirmed unless we learn something about him that nobody's heard in 30 years of, of his public mm-hmm. life. You know, if we find out that he was an axe murderer at some point in the past, <laughs> that might change things. Yeah, well, if, they, if they're able to poison the wells, which I'm sure, and that's kind of what the Democrats have been doing. They were uh, a surprise. I know on Election Day, I, I, you know, I've never been a never-Trumper, but I think a lot of those folks have been a little too self-righteous for me, but I was certainly uh, a skeptic, especially with you know how poorly he did with some of the, the voting groups, but apparently Hillary Clinton was less popular than he was, except in California and New York, uh, I I think they're really um, still just in, in shock about uh, this new dynamic that we have in D.C. Literally, Donald Trump was surprised that he had to personally find 4,000 new employees. That just kind of shows how big our government has gotten, right? Well, and I suspect at the end of the day, a lot of those 4,000 jobs will be filled by the same kinds of people. <laughs> <laughs> and by and I don't mean same kinds. I mean by these same people that would have filled them under a Rubio administration or a Cruz administration mm-hmm. or a Jeb Bush administration. Um, people who have strong opinions about HUD policy um, are generally few and far between. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're going to end up with. And and I don't think that there aren't many of Trump's nominations so far to the to the to the top tier jobs that would look particularly or entirely out of place in any other Republican administration, I don't think. Right. Um, Steve Bannon maybe wouldn't have, wouldn't have risen to the top under most of the other candidates, but, 
by and large, everybody at the at the secretary level, um, but is sort of among what you would call the usual suspects. Yeah, I mean, it, it, nobody's been a complete. Well, certainly not out of left field, but uh, nobody has been a shock. And and you know, as I, I, I don't know a whole lot about uh, Mr. Tillerson. Uh, I do think that that is going to be probably the most contentious. Uh, Choice just because of the role of Secretary of State and the fact that there are cer- certainly several Republicans that I can think of that could uh, join together to uh, to stop that. I think that's the line in the sand that the Democrats draw. They may try to test the waters a little bit and complain and moan about Ben Carson as HUD Secretary. I can my argument on that is we've had uh, Castro in charge of that and it hasn't been going too well. So I'm pretty sure a brain surgeon can't mess it up worse than what uh, what HUD has turned into. But uh, I do think that. Democrats line in the sand is going to be with Secretary of State. Well, it'll be it'll make for an interesting uh, January, February, and quite possibly March of uh, of C-SPAN. Yep, I was about to say, don't turn off the TV. Todd Ream, GeorgiaPundit.com. You can check out his newsletter Monday through Friday every morning. It'll fill you in with a lot of Georgia national politics, and I appreciate you calling in as usual. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Greg. Always a pleasure. Thank All you much. Right. And we appreciate you guys listening in, of course. We've got uh, some uh, exciting shows coming up. And obviously, with election season never truly being over in Georgia and a hyper-competitive 6th District, which actually two Democrats have jumped in that thing. And the interesting thing about having a special election is if one of the Democrats gets their act together, they could very easily finish in the top two in this race. So it may not be two Republicans fighting it out in a runoff. It could easily be a Republican versus a Democrat in this. So Keep your eyes on that race. Keep your eyes on what's going on in the uh, cabinet. Like I said, the Secretary of State is uh, the position that I do think the Democrats will try to draw their line in the sand. The other ones, they can whine and, and wail and gnash their teeth. But at the end of the day, uh, most of the other nominees that, um, that Donald Trump has put forward are certainly going to have the support of the 52 Republicans in the Senate. We appreciate you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. As always, you're listening to Greg's List on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.